Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the Leadership Strategist. Tonight's guest is a speaker, author, entrepreneur, and founder of the New Wealth Order, Gerald DuBose. Hey, what you drink? Okay, so I'm just not going to let up. I'm just going to keep hitting you guys with these super, super intelligent, grounded leaders and entrepreneurs that are just really, really eager to share their wisdom with you. And for this guest... I'm going right to the top shelf. This guy is the real thing. He is every bit of an entrepreneur. When you think of entrepreneur and all that goes into making that happen, that's who Gerald Bose is. And I'm just so excited to have him on this podcast episode. Gerald Bose, welcome to the room, my man. Welcome. Well, it is an honor and a privilege to share the stage with my brother, Galen Bingham, at any time. Thanks for having me, brother. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey, man, we, we go back. We go back a little bit, uh, you know, and we actually had our start with this kind of audio only communication platform. The thing about this is when you have this kind of a relationship it's very, very easy to sense when people aren't very deep. And because we've been hanging out with each other for a long time, I can say for a fact that you're about as deep as they come. <laughs> so you're setting a high bar, brother. You're setting a high bar. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm going to hit you with some, with some questions that mere mortals not, might contemplate before they answer, but I know you can handle it. The first question that I'm going to ask and you guys know it's coming. What you drinking? <laughs> <laughs> so I am not a whiskey connoisseur as yourself. You know, I have an appreciation for it because of my brother Galen, actually. You know, when you started telling me when we uh, sat down and met up for, I believe that was our first time meeting up when we sat down in the restaurant and we second time meeting up you were telling me about whiskey and I had never thought about an appreciation of whiskey. Now I, I also make fragrances. So I have a cologne and perfume line. So I've always understood like the nuances of what goes into wine. So I always akinned wine to fragrance. So when, when you started telling me about it, I was highly intrigued. I was like, wow, I didn't realize that there were so many different variations of that. My personal, my personal, whiskey alcohol of choice since i do not drink alcohol 
is apple juice. So I'm drinking North Coast apple juice, which is very close to, I would say, akin to what they do in the process for making whiskey, because this is an organic apple juice that comes in. They will, you can get different flavors and they have different apples that they use to make it and it has different notes. So sometimes how it's processed, you may get little hints of vanilla, little hints of caramel within the apple juice itself. So I am drinking North Coast apple juice this evening. All right. See, we haven't even gotten into the conversation yet. And I already feel like I got an education. <laughs> <laughs> so so since since I know that you are not a partaker of the juice of the gods, I'm just going to have to hit this one a little extra special for both of us. Uh, and I decided to go with one that, you know, this is one that I actually kind of turned my nose up at initially, you know, just trying to pretend like I'm a, a whiskey snob. You got to turn your nose up at something. Right. And initially I turned my nose up at Maker's Mark. But boy, I tell you, I'm coming around. I'm starting to see the errors of my ways. So tonight I'm going to be sipping on some Maker's Limited Edition 46. But this is cast strength. So it's 110.3 proof. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and go ahead and get into this for you. All right. Go ahead and get into it. Now, I have a question for you. I know this is you interviewing me. So you all have to realize this is like my brother. So I, I'm going to ask you. I have to ask this question since he is partaking of the juice of the gods, as he so called it. Have you tried McClellan? Oh, I have not tried McClellan. Only because I'm afraid. <laughs> you don't want to get hooked, brother. I'm, I'm afraid. One of my one of my really good good friends and colleagues. Uh, actually, we just we just dropped his episode a few a few weeks ago. Don Angelo Bivens. That's all he drinks. But I'm afraid. I'm I'm just I'm afraid to go there, man. Hey, man, I've I've heard and I've actually gifted some and I heard about McClellan. I'll tell you my how I got my lesson on McClellan. I was listening to a radio station here in the um, D.C. area and they always do special stories. And it was a guy that he his father just passed away and he said that his father's only thing that he left him. It's like ever since he was 21 years old for his birthday every year. His father would give him a bottle of McClellan, a different bottle every year and told him, do not open it. So this was all his father left him. And he was it's been 24 years. So he took the bottles and got them appraised. And the 24 bottles appraised for about fifty eight thousand dollars. So he took that money and he said he was going to sell most of them, but keep one to have. So that when he buys his new house, he was taking that money as a down payment for his new house and he was going to keep one bottle and have a drink for his dad. So I said, oh, wow, I got to look into this stuff, you know, investment. I'm like, what is this? What is this magical whiskey that raises your expectation? Doesn't it? Just yeah. I, I said, wow, this is very interesting. I, I did not know. And so I started looking into it and hearing about the reputation McClellan has and all of that stuff. And it, again, drug me deeper into the thing that you love so much. 
about whiskey and seeing that they had different notes and that the 25 year is different than the anniversary and all this other stuff and how they age them in barrels and what type of barrel they age it in affects the cast. And is it a single barrel or is it a double malt? And I said, oh, wow. Okay. Very interesting. It's a dark hole, my man. It's a dark <laughs> hole. <laughs> and it only gets more and more expensive the deeper you go into that hole. But hey, so I, I'm, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to sip on this Maker's 46 I would really love for you to share just a little bit about your background because you've done a whole lot of a lot. I, I want you to even go back to the college days because your college experience is even interesting, right? It's 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 like an experience that most people don't think of of having. So I'm going to sip on this and, if, and just whatever you want to share to give the audience an idea of who I am sitting here talking to. Okay. All right. Well, I, I will share a few a few tidbits then. Um, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, born and raised Washington, D.C. native. Went to public high school, actually. Um, studied there for a while, and um, I was an All-American football player, and I was recruited nationally, and I was supposed to go to Florida State University. That was where I was going to go. Unfortunately, things happened. I was in love. Uh, my Two oldest brother passed away in my senior year in high school. My mom didn't want her baby boy to go that far away. So uh, Gerald decided to stay home and go to work. So I started my foray into business um, right away at 17 years old, so to say. Met a guy at a bar and he was literally just talking to me. And don't ask me why I'm at a bar at 17, everybody. Okay. <laughs> it's a bar and a restaurant, not a real bar. Okay. So I'm sitting at a restaurant and this guy sits there and he's talking to me and he asked me what I wanted to do um, with my life. And I'm just sitting there and I'm having apple juice. <laughs> He thought it was something else. <laughs> so we're talking. He asked me, what, what are you going to do now that you're not going away to school? I said, I, I want to get into business. And he said, that's a very vague answer. I need you to be more specific. I said, well, I want to help somebody build a company. I was like, but I'll take what I can get. And we conversed for about another hour. He's asking me questions. And he says, I really like you. He said, you know what? Call me on Monday and I'll make a position for you. So I leave high school and I start out as an accounts manager for a computer hardware and software company. So I leave high school and I automatically come out making what most people make coming out of college. And my only job as an accounts manager was to help set up meeting rooms. So I had to deal with hotel managers and uh, food and beverage managers a lot. So they're offering me bottles of Dom Perignon and all this other stuff. And I can't drink a lick. But... I did set up room blocks in it, and this got me kind of into being around more influential people. After that, I took a couple more jobs. After he decided he wanted to up and stop doing what he was doing, just kind of was like, hey, Gerald, um, don't want to do it no more. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> you can do that? I, I was like, yo, like, he's like, yeah, I want to kind of travel, man. He's like, this has been a good ride. You, you know, you helped me out. So like, don't worry, I'll give you a six month severance. You'll be great. Take care of yourself. I'll call you when I get back. So I found myself at like 20, about 20 at that point, just trying to find my way. But anyway, my major part of my career was in marketing and sales. So the last job I ever worked, I was a director of marketing for a home remodeling construction company. And that was back in 2001. And I will never forget the day that 
God told me it was my time to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> December 17, 2000, I got the phone call to change my life. Um, I went to work for this, for that home remodeling company because of a friends I had. I had one guy that was a really good friend that helped me all the way through. And he was just like, Gerald, um, you know, hey, I, I want you to come back, help me with this company. And I was like, okay, who owns it with you? He told me the guy, the guy he owned it with, I didn't like. But because we were such good friends and he had shown me stuff, Galen, that I, again, a kid from Northeast D.C. with a high school education wasn't used to going over to somebody's house that had boats and had, you know, friends that just go sailing on the weekend. And he showed me all that stuff in my early 20s before I got to this point in 2000. And so when he called me, I had a different level of, OK, I have to at least give him a chance. You know, if he's asking me, it's that serious. So I went to work for them. But December 16th, back to the main point, December 16th, 2000, I got the call to make me an entrepreneur. As I told you, there was one owner that I loved. There was one owner that I couldn't stand. And there was one owner that didn't matter. I'll give you one guess which one called me on December 16th, 2000 <laughs> that made me. <laughs> so the words that made me an entrepreneur, he calls me and he says, Gerald, we just paid you $5,000 in override. To anybody not in the sales industry, I'll help explain what that override is. Galen knows it very well. The override is the percentage that they give you of the profits on whatever the company earns. So you get a percentage of override on what they make. I said, yes, thank you. And please keep it coming. And he said, why the bleep did I just pay you $5,000 extra? Now, I just told everybody that I didn't get to go to college traditionally, right? I may have misspoke there because I did graduate with a PhD from SWU. And that's not St. Wharton's, that's Sidewalk University School of Hard Knocks. <laughs> and I graduated with a degree in difficulty, okay? So we have attitudes there. So I responded to him immediately. And it was before I could even think. I said, Well, you paid me that money because. Last year, before I came here as a company, you earned $1 million. This year, you earned $27 million. You paid me that money because last month alone, we sold over $750,000. I'm sorry, $2.2 million. And that is why you paid me $5,000. And he said, um, these are the words that made me an entrepreneur, Galen. I want everybody to hear these words. He said, I don't give a bleep how much money you make me. I will see you make $100,000 working here. I'll see you make $150,000 working here. I will never, ever see you make $200,000 working here. So as a Monday, we have to renegotiate your contract. And I went from pissed off to immediately calm. And before I could think, it was coming out of my mouth. I said, no, as of Monday, you had to find yourself a new marketing director, because if I can make you $27 million in a year, I can make me one, net 35% of that, take home 50% of that, and never have to answer to an idiot like you again in my life. Thank you for releasing me to my freedom. And that was pretty bold because I didn't have a plan. <laughs> you know, I just knew. It was nothing I could do to make him see my value. And I know plenty of people have felt that way. I just knew that it was nothing I could say for him to ever look at me and say, you know what? You mean a lot to this company. 
And I want to see and make sure you're taken care of. I know a lot of people have felt that way. So as of then, I decided that in January of 2001, I was going to start my own business. Now, I called everybody on December 16th that worked at the company that I usually talk to, thanked them for working with me, told them I was leaving. And 14 people raised their hand to say, hey, where you go, I'm going. So in January of 2001, when I started my first company, I was not alone. I had 14 people in tow which was scary as a heck from a kid from Northeast DC, 26 years old with no experience in running a business, but he has the life of 14 grown people with kids and grandkids in his hand. That though led me to being able to do what I do today. So that went from one company in 2001 to now um, eight companies under my leadership today. Wow, that is one heck of a story. And it sounds so nice and neat when you tell the story from beginning to end and you make it really, really tight so it can fit in this podcast episode. But if you were to go back and think about that 20-year-old kid, (laughs) you had to be scared to death. Oh, when I started the first company, I was 26 when I started that first company. Scared was not the word. I was so unprepared. First of all, it was a lot more responsibility than I was or thought I was prepared for. I'll put it that way, because I was thinking, hey, Gerald's going to start a business. That's just going to be it. But when 14 grown people are quitting jobs and saying, nah, it becomes like, oh, snap. Okay, I I really better be on my P's and Q's because I could screw up a lot of people's lives if I don't make this thing work. So, yes, I was frightened to death, but I did it scared. I did it because I realized that it was far that my vision was obviously far more important than I ever thought it was, because without me even having to fully explain it, people said, I want to go where you're going. What do you think that was that you exuded that would cause 14 adults to say, I'm riding with you? What do you think it was that you exuded, that you conveyed, that you made them believe that their future was safe in your hands? I believe it was care. I feel like they all felt that I really cared about them and about the work that I was going to be doing. And I think that's why they trusted me because I can't talk about just results. Cause I mean, there's plenty of people that are good at something. That's what, unfortunately, where a lot of people get it confused. They think cause they're good at something. They can do a business doing that. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily the case. It doesn't mean you're le- meant to lead it. It means you're great at doing that thing though. Right? So I just believe that. And they've always talked to me about how I treat them. Because I've always been of the mindset that, you know, you create leaders, you don't create workers Mm. and everybody has a voice in the business. But I have the choice. You know, you have a voice, but I got the choice because what you feel matters. And by having treated people that way before I had my own company, I think that they felt like, okay, we will always matter to him. He will never turn his back and like, I don't care what you just said. It doesn't matter what you're going through. I realized that people run businesses, people run the process and them feeling that level of care, that level of that they are that important. 
And I think that's what happens in a lot of large organizations where they fail, that they start to worry about the numbers more than the people. And then everything starts to trickle down and they're like, hey, what's going on here? We're not hitting numbers. When you put the numbers above the people, the numbers will always suffer. Oh my gosh. You need to say that again. That That is incredibly tweetable, man. Say that one more time. When you put the numbers above the people, the numbers will always suffer. You can have the greatest process. You can have the most phenomenal product. If the people aren't happy, if the people don't buy in, guess what? Your product suffers, your process suffers. I mean, you're, you're reminding me of uh, something I shared last season, and it was Drucker's words originally. Drucker was almost right when he said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. He was almost right because uh, the improvement I have made to Mr. Drucker is that culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and midnight snack. <laughs> I mean, culture is for every reason that you just said, if you don't have the kind of culture where the people believe that you as the leader are have their best interest at heart, even when you have to make tough decisions, you are at least considering the impact that this is going to have on the people in the organization. If you don't have that level of trust and confidence, it really doesn't matter what your strategy is. It doesn't matter what your price point is. It doesn't matter how much better your your widget is than the competition because there's there's not going to be anyone there to make sure that the machines run the right way. You know, there's not going to be anyone there at 515 when the shop closes at five because everyone's going to be out. And I think you just articulated it perfectly that it's about the people and so many leaders, so many businesses. And I used to say it this way. So many leaders confuse the objective and the strategy. They, they make the strategy the objective. They forget that these measures are important, but these measures are just an indicator. <laughs> They're not the objective. Yeah, so thank you for bringing that out. Thank you for bringing that out. And, and you know, another thing too that you, that keyed into in your story is the fact that people decided to follow you based on what they saw you do when they didn't have to follow you right? They saw your behavior. They saw your actions. They saw how you, how you treated people before they had to. That's what gave them confidence. One of my mentors who uh, I'm going to try desperately to get him uh, into this conversation is a guy by the name of Joe Cavalier. And he said, he was one of my first managers. And he said, Gayla, never forget for a moment that you're being evaluated. You're always being evaluated. Mm. Don't forget that. It's easy to think about that at one level when you're an entry-level employee and you've got more managers than anything, that yeah, you're being evaluated. But as you become a leader, as you rise into the higher levels of the organization, you're still being evaluated. You're being evaluated by the people that have their future in your hands, that they've said that they trust you. They are evaluating you. Yes, 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 and yes. One of my mentors said it slightly different, but he, he said, someone's always watching. There's never a moment where someone's not watching. Always know that. I agree with you there that someone is always observing you. And especially in this environment and in the corporate environments and in the entrepreneurial environment, right? When you are starting a business, 
these people are looking at you hard, just as hard as you are evaluating your employees and the people that work for you. They're watching your mannerisms. They're watching how you walk. They're watching how you talk. They're watching how you deal with the stress. They're watching how you solve problems. They are observing and watching every little thing about you because they are making decisions about, is this the person I can stick with? Is this the person that has my best interest at heart? Is this somebody that, that I can come to when there are things going on? And I think that is why we've had such a huge shift now from where we grew up and started in the corporate game and everything, Galen, from the 80s where it was all numbers, push, 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 push. It doesn't matter. And the manager will come in and yell and curse and flip a table over. And I don't care what you're going through. Get the dang going job done and walk out the room. And it was okay. To now where they are starting to understand they are literally having coaches, trainers, psychotherapists being put into environments to make sure that the workers are mentally there and healthy. because. Before it was, it was, it was numbers over people in the eighties, early nineties by hook or by crook. If you didn't hit your numbers, you're out of here. That's the, they did not care what you had going on. Yeah. My mom died. Okay. So what did you hit your numbers? Hey, my dad died. Okay. So what did you hit your numbers? We just had a kid. Hey, so what did you hit your numbers? That's where we were. That's how we, they used to call it rank them and yank (laughs) them. Yes, indeed. So, but now Businesses are because of places like Google and Tom's Shoes and things where they, where they have developed these cultures where people like to show up to work, that they have places where they can literally assign you time to go take a nap as part of your day. Like, hey, take 20 minutes and go in that room and nap if you have to. They see how much bigger these companies and how much farther they have gone than the companies of the 80s. Then the old banks, the the way they used to run the stockbrokers and the way they used to push people there. So culture shift and the understanding of the people matter is starting to be more prevalent today in the entrepreneurial space. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.